A new Democratic fresh face comes out as a blatant anti-Semite. AOC lies about her own Green New Deal. And Virginia settles into place. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. As I've been saying for the past several weeks, one of the beautiful things about being a Democrat is the worse you do, the more the headlines read, Republicans pounds. And boy, there's been a lot of pouncing lately because it turns out that the Democratic fresh faces, so fresh, so face, they all weirdly seem to be coming out mistakenly as communists and anti-Semites. Like, who would have thought such a thing except for everyone with half a brain who's been following this stuff? But we'll get to that in just a second. First, let's talk about that watch on your wrist. It's garbage, isn't it? I mean, let's be real about this. Whatever you're wearing on your wrist, it isn't as nice as this. I mean, check this thing out. This is a really nice watch. Why? Because it's from Movement. Movement makes minimalist watches that tell you the time and look really classy doing it. It really is quite simple. Movement watches, sunglasses, other accessories, they've been perfect gifts for families across the country. Everyone in my family has a Movement watch, pretty much everyone. Uh, In-laws, siblings, parents. I'm going to get one for my children as soon as they're old enough because movement watches are just fantastic. And you know that I'm about supporting ground-up entrepreneurs who work hard for what they want, which is why I love movement so much. Their true success story makes wearing their products much more meaningful. They came up and made a name for themselves in one of the most established markets in the world. They've reached exponential growth. Movement watches are all about looking good while keeping it simple. And they start at just 95 bucks. You're looking at up to 400 bucks for the same quality from a traditional brand. Clean design, minimal, really quality products. Movement has sold almost 2 million watches in over 100 160 countries. There's a reason why. Right now, get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash Shapiro. Now, what's great about this is it's great for Valentine's Day. mvmt.com slash Shapiro. They've got new styles on their site all the time. Check out their latest at mvmt.com. Again, mvmt.com slash Shapiro. Join the movement. Get 15% off when you go to mvmt.com slash Shapiro. All right. So, there's this new cadre of Democrats, the fresh faces, so fresh, so face. And usually we talk in this context about Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Don't worry, we'll get to her in just a second. But she is not the fresh face who was making waves over the weekend. Instead, the fresh face making waves over the weekend was blatant anti-Semite Ilhan Omar from Minnesota, who has indeed been an anti-Semite for years upon years upon years. And it's not like a big secret. You know, what's hilarious is that the same media that will suggest the entire Republican Party is anti-Semitic because... Donald Trump was once close with some people who themselves were close with the alt-right. The same media that will suggest that the entire Republican Party by a wide swath is anti-Semitic because of Steve King, who, by the way, is actually pro-Israel. That same media will suggest that the Democratic Party has no problem with anti-Semitism at all. They're just asking the hard questions. They're just asking the hard questions. This is something that Dave Weigel of The Washington Post tweeted out about Ilhan Omar. So let's start from the beginning. Ilhan Omar's record. Okay, so Ilhan Omar back in 2012 tweeted that Israel was, quote unquote, hypnotizing the world. And then she spent years defending that tweet, suggesting there was nothing wrong with the tweet. And then in 2013, she gave an interview to a person who called Israel the Jewish ISIS and compared Hamas to Holocaust victims. That was in 2013. In that same interview, Omar compared the United States military to Al-Qaeda. The account AG Conservative has a good summary of all of this over at Twitter. At her inauguration, Omar celebrated with Linda Sarsour, who herself is a blatant and ridiculous anti-Semite. She has come out as a supporter of the anti-Semitic BDS movement, which is boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. Leaders of that movement have been tied to terrorist groups, as in this week. In, in late January, Omar argued that Israel cannot be considered a democracy because it is Jewish, which is insane since Muslims have more rights in Israel than anywhere else in the Middle East. And by the way, there are plenty of democratic countries that have established state religions. And now she comes out and suggests that the reason that Republicans support Israel is because they're being paid off. So she tweeted a couple of things over the weekend. Here is what she tweeted. First, she tweeted, let me find the, the first tweet. The first tweet was in response to Glenn Greenwald, who himself is a rabid anti-Israel anti-Semite. He's a self-hating Jew. He wrote, GOP leader Kevin McCarthy threatens punishment for Ilhan Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib over their criticisms of Israel. It's stunning how much time U.S. political leaders spend defending a foreign nation, even if it means attacking free speech rights of Americans. Nobody is attacking the free speech rights of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. They're sitting in Congress. They're sitting in Congress. They have not had their free speech rights violated. And yet there's Glenn Greenwald suggesting that all of these Republicans are doing something deeply wrong by mentioning Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, both of whom happen to be radical anti-Semites. So Ilhan Omar tweeted out, quote, it's all about the Benjamins, baby, with a little music symbol. Now, as a Jew, 
One of the oft-used anti-Semitic tropes, I mean, this has been true for thousands of years, is that the Jews control the monetary systems with their shekels, that the Jews are an evil nefarious force behind world events spreading around money, and that the reason that people support the Jews is because they've been corrupted by the Jew gold. It's been the Jew gold behind Republican support for the state of Israel, which, of course, is a complete lie. The vast majority of Americans support Israel and support Jews because they're not anti-Semitic and because they recognize that Israel is fighting against some of the worst people on planet Earth. It isn't really a hard choice when you have a choice between democratic country that respects individual rights and evil Islamist dictatorship that tries to murder civilians in their bed. Right. Not a hard choice for most Americans. Very hard choice for a lot of Democrats, apparently. Ilhan Omar, though, suggests that the reason Republicans support Israel is because they're being paid off by the Jew gold. So she tweets that out. It's all about the Benjamin's baby. And then somebody asked for clarification. That'd be Batya Ungar Sarga. Now, I know Batya. Nice enough lady. It, she and I have had a couple of email exchanges. I've written a couple of columns for The Forward where she's the editor. The Forward does, is a very, very left-wing Jewish magazine. They are more than happy to cover for anti-Semites so long as those anti-Semites can put a thin veneer of social justice over their anti-Semitism. Batya has spent years trying to pretend that Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and AOC, or at least months, trying to pretend that these three are not, in fact, anti-Semites or in league with anti-Semites. And she bends over backwards to use moderate language in response to anti-Semitism from these three. So Batya tweeted out, quote, would love to know who Ilhan thinks is paying American politicians to be pro-Israel, though I think I can guess. Bad form, Congresswoman. That's the second anti-Semitic trope you've tweeted. Okay, which again, is a pretty weak way of putting this. Bad form? Bad form. You think that Batya was saying bad form about Steve King? You think Batya was saying bad form about Donald Trump after Charlottesville? None of the folks on the left. It, it was funny. Their, their response was basically, well, I wish she wouldn't use that language. It wasn't, I wish she would stop being a rabid anti-Semite who hates Jews. It wasn't, maybe we shouldn't have elected somebody like this. It wasn't, maybe we should take her off the House Foreign Affairs Committee where Ilhan Omar currently sits. It wasn't that. It was... You know, it's really bad form that she sort of let the cat out of the bag with being a rabid anti-Semite and all. I wish she would sort of walk that back. So Ilhan Amar doubled down in response to Batya Ungar Sargon, who, again, is extraordinarily left wing. So Batya tweeted, would love to know who Ilhan Amar thinks is paying American politicians to be pro-Israel, though I think I can guess. And Ilhan Amar tweeted back, AIPAC, that would be the, Is the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. Number one. APAC does not really make a lot of contributions to politicians. The amount that they've spent on lobbying on a yearly basis, something like $3.5 million, okay, that is nothing compared to the beer lobby, which spends $20 million a year. Second of all, it, J Street spends a nearly equivalent amount of money on left-wing politicians. The reason that APAC gives money, that they lobby, the reason that they lobby politicians is for a particular purpose. But if you think that their lobbying, number one, is restricted to people who are supremely pro-Israel. That is not true. They had Barack Obama speak at the AIPAC conference controversially. They had Joe Biden speak at the AIPAC conference controversially. The only person I'm aware who has not been able to speak at the AIPAC conference was Ron Paul. So they allow pretty much everybody to speak at the AIPAC conference. AIPAC does not own, does not own the United States Congress by dint of paying people. This is sort of a similar trope to the idea that people in America are pro-gun because the NRA is signing them checks. Except now it's the nefarious Jews spending their shekels, the shekel masters spending their shekels trying to convince Republican Congress people. Now, I have to mention, one of the weird things about this particular notion is the idea that Congress people are, are able to be bought and paid for. If that were the case, wouldn't you think that APAC would just ratchet up its spending and buy a bunch of Democrats? Why is it that everybody who's always worried about campaign spending is themselves, those people are themselves immune to such corruption? I remember asking this about John McCain when John McCain was, was talking about campaign finance reform. Oh, there's too much money in politics. People are buying politicians. Weird, John McCain. You haven't been bought. So why is it that you think everybody around you has been bought, but you have not been bought? There are certain rare instances in which Congress people are actually corrupt and take money from particular lobbies to change their views. That's pretty rare. Most people who are, who are picking up support are picking up support because they pre-held those views. Most people who are pro-Israel were pro-Israel long before they had ever heard of APAC. Well, all of this drew some fire, even from some members of the Democratic caucus. Congressman Max Rose, who's a Jew from New York, he tweeted out, when someone uses hateful and offensive tropes and words against people of any faith, I will not be silent. Congresswoman Omar's statements are deeply hurtful to Jews, including myself, implying that Americans support Israel because of money alone is offensive enough. But to go a step further and retweet someone declaring their pain at her sentiment is simply unacceptable. What happened is that Ilhan Omar mistakenly retweeted somebody who said she's obviously targeting the Jews. This is no different from her calling Jews hook-nosed. And she retweeted it, and then she unretweeted it after she realized what she had retweeted. 
So Max Rose says, at a time when anti-Semitic attacks are on the rise, our leaders should not be invoking hurtful stereotypes and caricatures of Jewish people to dismiss those who support Israel. In the Democratic Party and in the United States of America, we celebrate the diversity of our people and the gods we pray to as a strength. The Congresswoman's statements do not live up to that cherished ideal. Here's the reality. If you were calling like I was for a, for a move toward, sen uh, toward a censorship motion against Steve King, for example, which a lot of people in the Democratic Party were calling for, how do you not have a censorship of uh, a, a resolution of censure against Ilhan Omar for all of this. And the reason is because the Democratic Party deep down actually agrees with Ilhan Omar. The Democratic Party, unfortunately, has become a party that is replete with anti-Semitism and certainly with anti-Israel activity. I was there in 2012 when the idea of Jerusalem as Israel's capital was booed at their convention. AOC is having phone calls with open anti-Semite Jeremy Corbyn in, in Britain and then pretending she doesn't know what's going on. It's a bunch of nonsense. The, cons the, the willingness to consort with open Jew-hating in the Democratic Party is pretty obvious at this point. Nancy Pelosi so far has been pretty silent on this. Chelsea Clinton tweeted that she would reach out to Omar's office, and then Omar tweeted that she'd be happy to chat with Clinton. So here's what's hilarious. So Chelsea Clinton tweeted out that she'd be happy to talk with, with Ilhan Omar, and then she was hit by Bernie Sanders supporters with, how dare you attack Ilhan Omar? And Melissa Byrne, who's a Bernie Sandersite, she said, disappointed Chelsea Clinton is piling on Ilhan instead of reaching out to her. She is a new member of Congress and figuring out how to navigate calling out AIPAC, which is a terrible organization aligned with Bibi, and learning that a lot of folks will assume the worst. There's nothing to assume. Ilhan Omar has repeatedly invoked anti-Semitic tropes because she's an anti-Semite. At a certain point, when someone is in your face, not dog whistling, but screaming in your face, they don't like Jews. Are we just supposed to pretend that, they, that, that this is all... A, fig a figment of our imagination? Is that where we're supposed to go with this? So Chelsea Clinton responded, Hi, Melissa, I will reach out to her tomorrow. I also think we have to call out anti-Semitic language and tropes on all sides, particularly in our elected officials and particularly now. And then Ilhan Omar tweeted back at Chelsea Clinton, Chelsea, I would be happy to talk. We must call out smears from the GOP and their allies. And I believe we can do that without criticizing people for their faith. I look forward to building an inclusive movement for justice with you. And Chelsea Clinton then backed off and replied, hello, Congresswoman, completely agree. I will reach out to your office tomorrow. Looking forward to connecting about this thread and more, Chelsea. Weird, I don't remember Republican leaders saying about Steve King. I look forward to connecting with Steve King to get clarification on his comments. I don't remember them doing the same thing with, with Roy Moore. I don't remember Republicans really doing the same thing with pretty much anybody. Okay, and this is not to say Republicans are superior to Democrats in every way. This is to suggest that Democrats are perfectly willing to overlook anti-Semitism in their own party. I'll get to more of this in just one second. I mean, this is, this is a, a sickness inside the Democratic Party. I will explain in a second why this sickness is allowed to thrive inside the Democratic Party. It's really disgusting. First, let's talk about your plans for Valentine's Day. So this Valentine's Day, I know, you're going to go down to the local grocery store, you're going to pick up a box of Hershey's, and then you're going to give it to your loved one. It ain't going to cut it. Here's what you really should do. You should go get some Sherry's Berries. I'm telling you, this is the best stuff on planet Earth. So Sherry's Berries sent us a sampler and they sent me over some kosher stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> this, is, this is some of the best stuff I have ever eaten. My kids go crazy for it. My wife goes crazy for it. Never go wrong with their signature dipped Valentine's strawberries dipped in milk, dark or white chocolatey goodness for any discerning palate. She will fall in love with every bite. They also have chocolate covered, chocolatey goodness covered cookies and 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 chocolatey goodness covered caramel. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Go check out all of their products right now. And it all arrives fresh with a 100% Sherry's Berries guarantee. Ships anywhere nationally. Give sweet somethings to your long distance love. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Send her the Valentine's Day gift of her dreams at a price of your dreams starting at just $19.99 plus shipping and handling. So you look great and you send something awesome. Go check it out right now. Order now. Make this Valentine's Day really special by getting double the berries for just 10 bucks more. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, enter my promo code BENSHOW at checkout. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click that microphone, enter code BENSHOW. Order today. That is berries.com. Enter code BENSHOW right now. Okay, so a few Democrats have come out and condemned Ilhan Omar or suggested they're going to have conversations with Ilhan Omar. Representative Josh Gottheimer, who is a congressperson from New Jersey's 5th District, he tweeted out for nearly two weeks, Representative Ilhan Omar has avoided meeting with me to discuss why anti-Semitic tropes like these are hurtful to so many Americans. There's absolutely no place for this rhetoric in Congress or anywhere. And immediately he was hit with charges from his own side that he was undermining the fresh faces of the Democratic Party. 
Representative Jim Himes of Connecticut actually came forward and said, you know what, this isn't a really big deal. This isn't, you know, we should stop. We should stop making such a fuss over this. He told CNN that people in public office should be comfortable saying what they want to say. It really is, uh, honestly, it's incredible. He said, it's perfectly legitimate to criticize Israel or the pro-Israel Israeli lobby. Just be pleased, uh, just please be careful to do it in a way that can't be interpreted as being anti-Semitic. It's not that people are interpreting her words as anti-Semitic. She is invoking anti-Semitic stereotypes. End of story. The same party that spots a dog whistle behind everybody who ever dressed as Michael Jackson in 1982 is saying that when a woman comes forward and says, the Jews are paying the Congress to be pro-Israel, that is not, in fact, anti-Semitism. If you believe those two things simultaneously, you can just go screw off. I mean, honest to God, it's so dishonest. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. So Dan Kildee is another member of the Democratic House. And Dan Kildee was on this morning talking. He represents the 5th District of Michigan. And this morning, he suggested on CNN that, in fact, her tweet was not anti-Semitism. She's just, you know, unsophisticated. She's a newbie. doesn't matter she's had a consistent pattern of anti-Semitism for years and years and years. She's a newbie. Let's, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. I wouldn't take it as anti-Semitism. I would say that she probably objects to the fact that when it comes to issues around foreign policy or when it comes to issues specifically to Israel, there are a lot of interests, a lot of f folks who, who make campaign contributions based on a person's position on Israel. I, I know, uh, Congresswoman Omar, I don't believe uh, that, that, that she would harbor those sorts of views as they've been characterized. But obviously, it's a problem that she sees uh, that she wants to address. Okay, that's a joke. That's a joke. Of course, she knows exactly what she is saying. She's been an anti-Semite for years. It's, again, when there's a pattern, and the pattern is not just a pattern that is close to obvious, it is perfectly obvious. At a certain point, you have to say, oh, maybe the person's an anti-Semite. The Democratic Party is trying to cover for Ilhan Omar because they have an intersectional conflict. Here is the intersectional conflict for Democrats. Ilhan Omar is, is Somali and she is Muslim. Therefore, she trumps Jews on the scale of hierarchical victimhood. And therefore, we must pretend that she is not an anti-Semite. This is the way that it works. If you are higher on the intersectional pyramid in terms of the level of victimhood, then you get to insult at will people who are below you on the intersectional pyramid. You get to suggest anything you want about those groups. You can say anything. Jews do not count as part of the intersectional coalition. We have seen this over and over and over from the Democrats in the last several years. We've seen it at the Women's March, where being pro-Israel, Linda Sarsour said you cannot be a feminist and pro-Zionist. She is still introducing people like Kirsten Gillibrand at rallies. The members of the Women's March were endorsing Louis Farrakhan, no problem for years on end, until it finally became a national issue about two years after the Women's March started. And even then, even then, Linda Sarsour is still welcome in the, ha the halls of power. AOC can hang out with Jeremy Corbyn. Why? Well, because she's a woman and she's Hispanic and because she's a communist. So she can obviously work with the members of the, of the labor in Britain, like Jeremy Corbyn, who are openly anti-Semitic. Doesn't matter. We'll just pretend that that's not anti-Semitic in any way. The Chicago, there, there's something called the Chicago Dyke March, as they called themselves, the lesbian march in Chicago. They forced people who were gay, who were carrying a, a flag with the Star of David on it, not to be part of the march because they believed that that insulted other members of their intersectional coalition. When it comes to intersectionality, the theory goes something like this. People who, people who have been victimized by the system of the United States must band together to tear down that system. But Jews haven't been sufficiently victimized by that system in the United States. They've been disproportionately well-educated, disproportionately wealthy, disproportionately powerful, disproportionately achievement-oriented. That means that they cannot be good faith members of this coalition, and therefore, if somebody else in the coalition who has been more victimized wants them out, then the Jews go. The Jews are too successful to be part of the dispossessed coalition, and therefore, they are part of the possessed coalition. They are part of the hierarchy that needs to be itself torn down. This is why the Democratic Party is suddenly so tolerant of open anti-Semitism inside its own ranks. Ilhan Omar is sitting on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. She's a conspiratorial anti-Semite. She's sitting on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. She's not the only one, by the way. Rashida Tlaib is exactly the same thing as Ilhan Omar when it comes to these viewpoints. And we're supposed to sit here and pretend that the Democratic Party is friendly toward Jews? Where's Nancy Pelosi? Pick up the red courtesy phone, Nancy. Isn't it time that you think about who's sitting on your Foreign Affairs Committee? Or is she just going to pretend that everything is totally fine? My, my assumption is, in the end, she will think that everything is totally fine because why the hell not? Nobody in the intersectional coalition, including Jews in the intersectional coalition, will say anything. They are too scared of being cast out. All the leftist Jews who vote for the Democratic Party, who look at things like Ilhan Omar and then shrug and point at Donald Trump, 
despite the fact that Trump is significantly more philo-Semitic and pro-Israel than anybody in the Democratic Party right now? The same Jews who will, who will thrill to Chuck Schumer, who voted against the Iran deal while simultaneously allowing Kirsten Gillibrand to vote in favor of the Iran deal. The same Jews who will proclaim that Barack Obama was some sort of pro-Jewish force in the United States when he was precisely the opposite. Those same Jews are likely to look the other way when it comes to Ilhan Omar, because the truth is there are a lot of Jews in the United States who don't care very much about Judaism, but do care an awful lot about being members of the liberal coalition. That's their prerogative. But the fact is that this Democratic Party is trafficking openly in anti-Semitism at this point, embracing openly figures who are anti-Semitic, and they have for years. And they have for years. And to pretend otherwise is simply a lie. To watch it forwarded by members of the media is particularly galling. Uh, as I say, you know, there are folks, Dave Weigel, who sometimes can be a good reporter for the Washington Post, he tweeted out a little bit earlier today that the real problem is that people are taking Ilhan Omar literally instead of seriously. He said, as an expert on bad tweets, it's obvious that Omar is trying to broach a tricky slash forbidden topic, and it's going to be impossible for her if she keeps being baited on Twitter. What's that tricky? That tricky slash forbidden topic? Presumably the, the involvement of APAC or boycott, divestment, and sanctions, which actually is an anti-Semitic proposition. So you have an actual reporter from the Washington Post who happens to be a left-wing reporter from the Washington Post, Dave, talking about how it's just Omar trying to, bro to broach a tricky slash forbidden topic. Oh, I remember exactly that same kind of tolerance for every Republican who said something vile. They were just trying to broach a topic. That's all it was, just a topic broaching. Absolutely unbelievable. But we're going to be told by the end of the week that this is just Republicans pouncing and them overreacting to Ilhan Omar. And she's just, you know, she's getting her feet under her. She's just learning how Congress works. She's learning where the, where the landmines are. And she stumbled onto some uncomfortable truths. But... She's learning better now about how to handle herself so it doesn't sound like she's anti-Semitic. But we can't accuse her of anti-Semitism. I mean, we can't do that. And we wouldn't want to take a black Muslim congresswoman from Somalia and take her and then remove her from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. That might be racist. It's not anti-Semitic for her to say Jew gold is behind the Republican position on Israel, but it would be anti-Muslim and anti-black if we were to remove her from the House Foreign Affairs Committee for doing exactly that. Okay, in just a second, we're going to talk about the media's willingness to overlook the insanity of the Democratic Party. I mean, really, the insanity of the fresh faces, so fresh, so face inside the Democratic Party, because it ain't just Ilhan Omar. It is also AOC. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about a simple fact. We are all going to plot at some point. And when we plot, we want to make sure that our families are not left bereft without any sort of financial support. Well, this is why you need Policy Genius. Whether you're an insurance expert or a newbie, Policy Genius has created a website that makes it easy for you to compare quotes, get advice, and get covered. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance in minutes. You can compare quotes from top insurers and find the coverage you need at a price you can afford. From there, you just apply online and the advisors at Policy Genius handle all the red tape for you. They'll even negotiate your rate with the insurance company. No extra fees, no commission sales agents, just helpful advice and personalized service. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. Whether you're shopping for disability insurance to protect your income or homeowner's insurance or auto insurance, they can help you get covered fast. So, no matter how much or how little you know about life insurance, you can find the right policy in minutes at policygenius.com. It's the responsible thing for you to do as an adult. You want to make sure that your family is not left without if, God forbid, something should happen to you. And once you take care of it, it honestly feels really good because you don't have to worry about it ever again. Go check it out over at Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance, policygenius.com. All right, so it's not just Ilhan Omar the media are going to cover for. They're also covering for AOC. So AOC made a complete fool of herself last week because her team released an insane Green New Deal plan. They released it on her website. It was up for hours and hours and hours and hours. And then it was pulled down because this document, the six-page document, showed that the Democratic program on the Green New Deal is fully insane. It suggested we should abolish airplanes in favor of trains. It suggested we were going to build charging stations, quote-unquote, everywhere. That we were going to retrofit or rebuild every building in the United States. It suggested that we were going to make sure that we had vacation time and full health care and full parental leave and full payment for people who were unable and unwilling to work. I mean, the plan was full-scale communism. It was just a communist plan. It was openly red. It was just full. It wasn't even green. It was just red. Okay. And AOC put it up on her website, and then she removed it from her website. And then she lied about it. So last Friday night, apparently on Tucker Carlson's program, one of AOC's top advisors was on with Tucker Carlson talking about the so-called Green New Deal. And he just started lying about it. He was asked specifically about propositions in AOC's document. And he just said, that wasn't in the document. I don't know what you're talking about. That, that, that was 
no, we never put anything like that up. That's not there. And Tucker's like, uh, what now? Like, I'm looking at the document. And this, this advisor just is lying. I mean, he just openly lies. The guy's name is Robert Hockett. He's a Cornell professor and advisor to AOC. And he says, no, 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 no. AOC has never said anything like that. Watch the lie. Why would we ever pay people who are, quote, unwilling to work? Uh, I, we, we never would, right? And, and AOC has never said anything like that, right? I think you're referring to some sort of a document that some, I think some doctored document that somebody other than us has been circulating. Oh, I thought that came right from her. That was in the background or from her office is my understanding. No, no. She's actually tweeted it out to laugh at it. If you look at her latest tweets, it seems that apparently some Republicans have put it out there. I don't know the oh, well, details. Good. Well, then, then thank you for correcting me. I mean, because it, was yeah. like, it seemed a little ridiculous. Okay. Um, that's a lie. That's a lie. It wasn't a background or put out by her office. And this idiot is mixing up a mock, a mock version of the plan put out by a bunch of Republicans making fun of her. Not even Republicans, just generalized right wing people on Twitter mocking the, the plan that she put out. I mean, we, we, we went over it word for word for several hours last week. It was not something that was put out by Republicans. It was something put out by AOC because she's a dummy. OK, and because her team is filled with dummies. And this guy is apparently another one of those dummies. So then AOC tweets this out. She tweeted out there are multiple Dr. GND Green New Deal resolutions and, and frequently asked questions floating around. There was also a draft version that got uploaded and taken down. There's also draft versions floating out there. Point is, the real one is our submitted resolution, House Resolution 109. So now she's claiming that one, there are some versions that are doctored. Okay, that's just a lie. They're not doctored. They're satire. Again, AOC has no capacity to understand humor. I know. We pretend that she actually has a sense of humor. No, not true. Okay, and then she says, well... What this actually was, it was a draft version that got uploaded. Okay, a draft version of your document that suggests that you want to abolish trains in fa- uh, airplanes in favor of trains, and that, let's assume that's all right. How did that even get into the drafting process? First of all, it's a lie. Okay, this was the most coordinated release of a Green New Deal in history. It was, it was, it was legitimately coordinated down to the nub. Within five minutes of the HR resolution being introduced, it had been endorsed by four separate 2020 presidential candidates. And that same hour, this proposal went up on AOC's website. And AOC was the co-sponsor in the House. And she was specifically cited as the progenitor of this Green New Deal nonsense by all four of the Democratic nominees in the Senate, Senate, potential nominees in the Senate, who are running. So the suggestion is the most important day of AOC's life, her political life, in the Green New Deal, and she puts out, what, an old draft version? That's the claim now? And then it got taken down? Weird, because if it were an old draft version, you know what I would have assumed? Like, if somebody at my office put up an old draft of an article, and then we realized it was an old draft, you know what would go up? The new draft. Wouldn't that be the thing you'd put up, right? You'd have, you'd have like, a backgrounder and a frequently asked questions. You'd say, oh, God, you know, that was the wrong version. Here's the new version. Within five minutes, we just put up version 1.0. It's actually version 5.0 that should have gone up. As of today, there is still no backgrounder or FAQ on AOC's website from what I can see. Which means, no, you put up what you wanted to put up and then you had to take it down because you looked like a dolt. Because you look like an idiot. That didn't stop the media. The media actually started running headlines about Republicans pounce on AOC's accidental release of the Green New Deal. What they really should be looking at is the House resolution. Now, what's hilarious is to watch the media change the narrative as AOC changes the narrative. So last week, you will recall, both the New York Times and Politico defended the idiotic six-page document itself. They said, well, it's breathtaking in its ambition and scope. It's incredible in what it seeks to do. Maybe it's never going to be implemented, but maybe that's the point. That's what Politico said. Now it's, oh, no, 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 no. It, it was an accident, guys. Are you silly. Of course it was never realistic because it was an accident. I mean, come on. I mean, she even said it was an accident. And then you started making fun of her because it was an accident. It's unbelievable. They, they just they shift on a dime and start mirroring AOC's narrative preferences. The same members of the media who she is constantly ripping up and down as being biased against her in full Trumpian fashion. The only difference being the media actually do hate Trump, but they adore AOC. They're walking around with a drool cup for AOC. It's, it's unbelievable. They drool more than my two and a half year old son with a cold. It's it's astonishing. And then they come to their final point, the media and their final point when it comes to the Green New Deal, is, you know what? It doesn't really matter what she put up on her website. It doesn't really matter what she thinks. It doesn't really matter what policy proposals are put forward. All that matters is that if we don't do something, something, millions will die. So you get Katie Turr on MSNBC doing this routine, an objective news host on MSNBC. And she says, 
Look, without the Green New Deal, millions will die. Before we get to our clip, let me just explain. The House resolution provides zero solutions, none. The House resolution just says there should be a Green New Deal that gets us off of carbon fuels. That's basically the entire text of the resolution. It doesn't say anything. And that's like saying, we resolve, this House of Congress resolves that everyone in the United States should be incredibly wealthy. And the media goes, woo, yeah. Without that resolution, people would be poor. It's like, you actually have to do something as Congress to make your goal happen. But according to Katie Turr, the real problem is not that Democrats are proposing irresponsible, silly, ridiculous, counterproductive things that would not in any way actually impact the economy on a global, uh, impact the climate on a global scale, but would destroy the United States economy. The real key is that without a resolution like this that is absolutely nonsensical, millions will die, which is a shock to me since I'm already dead because of net neutrality. I'm already dead since Brett Kavanaugh's on the Supreme Court. I'm already dead because of the tax cuts. I've died so many times at this point since Trump was elected. I mean, I have nine lives, and I think so does everyone else in the United States. According to Katie Turr, millions will die unless we abide by a resolution that has no specifics and does not explain how it seeks to achieve what it wants to achieve. The U.N. said we have 12 years before complete disaster. You talked to the representative of the Marshall Islands, and he's calling it what could amount to genocide if we allow things to go as they are. The reports aren't just, hey, it's going to get bad. The reports are people will die. Millions and millions and millions of people will die. Okay, I don't know which reports she's looking at that millions and millions of people will die. Again, the implication for the IPCC is that lots of people will have to move that there will be significant climate change over the next century. I'm always bewildered by the point made by folks on the left that the water levels will rise and thus millions will die over the course of the next century. Bjorn Lomberg makes this point. Does he think that people are just going to start looking down at their feet and the water is going to be rising around their feet? You know what? I'm going to wait until this thing rises a couple more meters. I'm just going to like you look down. When it rains in your house, do you notice when it leaks into your house? I do. Would you notice if the water levels rose enough that the water was now in your house? My guess is you would. Would you stick around and wait for it to reach nose level? I highly doubt it. It's not going to be day after tomorrow. It's not a giant tsunami that swamps all of the coasts around the world. That's not how this works. And yet, without this pointless resolution that actually does not, it doesn't even achieve what it seeks to achieve. As I mentioned last week, this resolution, AOC's plan suggested originally in the plan that there would be no reliance on nuclear power, which is insane. You can't go green emissions if you don't use nuclear power. But this, this resolution doesn't even touch what would happen with climate change. If the United States were to get to zero emissions by 2030, it would lower the global climate by something like 0.124 degrees Celsius over the next century. That ain't going to cut it. You know who's responsible for the growing level of emissions in the world? That would be India, China, Brazil, developing countries, not the first world. Anyway, the Democrats are embracing this stuff full scale because they've gone extraordinarily radical. We'll get to that in just a second. First, let us discuss your sleeping arrangements. So we're not going to agree on everything, but I think we can all agree that we could use more sleep. Getting a good night's sleep is easier if you're using bowl and branch sheets. You never think about your sheets. You just think that you can go down to like the gas station, pick up what that weird guy is selling on the plastic table, and it says one million thread count. You're like, oh, that's probably great. And then you bring it home and you realize it's an actual plastic tarp. Well, instead of that, what you should have is bowl and branch sheets. Everything that they make is made from pure 100% organic cotton, which means they start out super soft and they get even softer over time. You can buy directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. Luxury sheets can cost up to 100 bu- uh, 1000 bucks in the store. Bowl and branch sheets are only a couple of hundred bucks. Everyone who tries bowl and branch sheets loves them. We have bowl and branch sheets in our house. We got rid of all our other sheets because they're so comfortable. Even three U.S. presidents sleep on bowl and branch sheets. Shipping is free. You can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a refund. To get you started right now, my listeners get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bowlandbranch.com, promo code Ben. That is bowlandbranch.com today for 50 bucks off your first set of sheets. B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code Ben. Once more, bowlandbranch.com, promo code Ben. Use that promo code Ben to get 50 bucks off your first set. Of sheets. All right, so we're going to get to the 2020 race, and we are going to get to the situation in Virginia in just a minute. First, you're going to have to go over to Daily Wire and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you too can subscribe to Daily Wire when you do. You get the rest of this show live and two additional hours later because our podcast just isn't long enough for you. You want more material, and you can either listen to it on live radio or if you want it commercial-free on demand, you need to subscribe. Also, we do this fun thing where during some of the breaks, I answer your questions if you're, a, if you're one of our, our subscribers. Legitimately thousands of subscribers watching live every day and then thousands more watching later are two hours. So, I mean, if you want that two hours, you want to interact with me more, go check it out for $9.99 a month, $99 a year. Also, 
When you use $99 a year, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels, the leftist tiers, hot or cold tumbler. So many goodies behind the paywall. You get goodies during our Daily Wire backstages. You can ask questions. When we do our Q&As, you can ask questions. When we do tours, there, there are new benefits that are going to be coming there. We have all sorts of great things that are happening once you get behind that paywall. So go join the team. It is also the best way you can support the show. So we really do appreciate that. Also, subscribe over YouTube or iTunes. We have fantastic Sunday specials coming up for you. This last Sunday, we had on Gary Sinise, world-famous actor and director. We talked about the military, and we talked about art. It was really great. And next week, we have someone else fantastic. So go check that out right now. We're the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. As I say, the Democrats have gone incredibly radical, and the media are willing to bend over backwards to pretend they are not. So AOC puts out a fully communist document, pretends that it was accidentally released, and pretends maybe that it was satire. And the media just go right along with it. Republicans pounce. Ilhan Omar, openly anti-Semitic. The media, oh, well, maybe she's just trying to broach a difficult topic in an awkward way. I mean, honest to God, what the hell, guys? But the good news is that the top-level Democrats are also mirroring this stuff. So Elizabeth Warren, who's desperately trying to remain relevant after the implosion of her campaign on the basis of her Native American false ancestry claims, she came out over the weekend and she said, you know that Green New Deal? We must spend money on it. It's time to spend money. She's trying to channel Bernie Sanders, except not as well. So here is, here is Elizabeth Warren doing that routine yesterday. I'm tired of hearing what we can't afford because it's just not true. We are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Of course we can afford these investments. Stop stalling on spending money, real money, on infrastructure and clean energy and a green new deal. Boy, she is so charismatic, by which I mean, oh no. But I, I do love the I'm tired of hearing we can't spend money on things. We have unlimited money from my money machine right here. What's amazing about so many of the social Democrats in the Democratic Party, you know, we'll distinguish socialists as in Cuba and Venezuela from social Democrats, i.e. Denmark, Norway. What's so fascinating about the quote unquote social Democratic Party is the social Democratic Party, they don't actually want any of the costs associated with social democracy. Look at the tax rates in Scandinavia. The tax rates in Denmark are 60% for people making above 60 grand a year, plus there is a value-added tax that adds another 25% sales tax on top of that. So if you're a normal person living in Denmark, you are spending upwards of 60% of the money that you make every year going to the government. Democrats are never going to tell you about that, ever. Democrats don't want to restrict immigration, and yet all of the Scandinavian countries have been increasingly restricting immigration because it turns out that when you open a store and put free stuff in the window, and then you don't restrict who comes in, you go bankrupt. So Democrats' new theory is something called modern monetary theory, which is basically just, we can spend as much money as we could possibly want, and no one will ever stop buying our bonds, which is only true so long as the United States continues to be the world's top producer of goods and services. So long as our economy is strong, that is the case. But if we are spending endless amounts of money and also regulating endless amounts of businesses and taxing them to death, that's not going to be the case. It's all fun and games being the leading economy on the planet until you're not anymore. And then people stop funding all of your, your spending, at which point you have to inflate your way out or tax your way out. There's not enough money to tax your way out, so you have to inflate your way out. But I guess the, the new democratic theory is that irresponsibility is an actual economic strategy. Now, listen, Republicans have had the same strategy, but at least they're not openly proclaiming it. At least Republicans still pretend that they would like to hem in spending at some point. Democrats are like, screw it, man. I mean, let's just go on a bender right here. We're just going to spend as much money as we can possibly print in the end. Pretty amazing stuff. But that was not the extent of Elizabeth Warren's campaign over the weekend. The best moment of Elizabeth Warren's campaign over the weekend was her grabbing a small child and dragging that small child into full view of the camera. <laughs> this is pretty spectacular. So there's Elizabeth Warren on the stage. I don't know who this kid is. Um, I mean, maybe the kid's a relative. I have no idea who this kid is. But she reaches over and grabs this little kid who's wearing like a blue jacket and just like yanks the kid in front of her. Get it over here, kid. We're running for president. Get it over here. We need you in the frame. <laughs> Play it again. It's great. Like the kid's just standing over there all happy. And then Elizabeth Warren just like, come here. No. Ah. <laughs> Yanking that kid like a baby from the womb. Good times over there with the Elizabeth Warren campaign. And then she, she has to appeal to her, her base. And her base not only wants endless spending and apparently grabbing of children, but also... Uh, they want her signaling 
that President Trump might be in prison by 2020. So she was doing that routine over the weekend as well. You know, here's what bothers me. By the time we get to 2020, Donald Trump may not even be president. In fact, he may not even be a free person. Okay, that that is just her obviously like stroking the needs of the Democratic base. He might be gone. Well, uh, yeah, sure. We'll provide the evidence, and then we'll then we'll talk about it. Meanwhile, Amy Klobuchar announced her campaign run. What was hilarious is that she did it like in the middle of the winter in the snow, and people were just getting hit by a blizzard while she was out there. Which for apparently Senator Klobuchar, that's that's apparently what she does with her bad staffers: just throws them outdoors naked, and then she has them frozen. <laughs> <laughs> there are a bunch of stories last week about how she mistreats her staffers. And so here was Amy Klobuchar announcing her, her run, which will end, I think, very much along the same lines as Tim Pawlenty's 2012 presidential run. I am running for this job for every person who wants their work recognized and rewarded. I am running for every parent who wants a better world for their kids. I'm running for every student who wants a good education. For every senior who wants affordable prescription drugs. Wow, she is more boring than that snow. Worker, farmer, dreamer, and builder. I mean, she is just. That lady is just a dose of political Valium. So, Amy Klobuchar, I think we can bid a fond farewell to her campaign before it begins. And Elizabeth Warren, I think, is in trouble also. Meanwhile, Willie Brown was slamming Kamala Harris over the weekend, which is pretty hilarious. So, you'll recall. The romantic story of a 60-year-old man stooping a 30-year-old lady and then getting her jobs on the state governmental level, which is what Willie Brown claims he was doing back when he was mayor of San Francisco and a top political kingmaker in California. Kamala Harris was at that time an up-and-coming political junkie, and she started dating Willie Brown, who at the time was married, by the way. In his weekly column in the San Francisco Chronicle, Brown wrote, Make no mistake, President Trump's State of the Union address was the kickoff for his 2020 re-election campaign. And so far, I've yet to see a Democrat who can beat him. The overnight polling after the speech showed once again he connected with voters, at least enough voters to make him a 2020 favorite. You can't say the same for the Democratic contenders. They all have impressive credentials, winning personalities and positive messages, but none displays the people personality that our media savvy president has has mastered. Brown acknowledged last month, according to Breitbart, he had dated Harris and given her jobs that helped her early political career. So kind of a backhanded slap at Kamala Harris. Nobody says Willie Brown can actually beat President Trump at current. Meanwhile, Cory Booker is campaigning in Iowa. Another inspiring Spartacus moment, because that's what Spartacus did. He, he went to Iowa. Cory Booker went to Iowa and pretended to be the newfangled Obama. He also had a, a, very, a very odd exchange with a reporter in which a reporter came up to him and started speaking with an accent. And Booker immediately assumed the guy was speaking Spanish. And so he said, tu habla espanol. And the guy was like, no, I'm from Switzerland. And Cory Booker was like, oh, I don't speak Swiss. Because no one speaks Swiss, because it's not a language. That's not a thing. He, so he's making, by the way, if any Republican had said that, endless mockery. Cory Booker says it. It's just another day being Cory Booker, man. And then Beto O'Rourke is on the campaign trail as well. So Beto O'Rourke is going to headline a rally today in El Paso. President Trump is set to hold a rally in El Paso today to talk about the government shutdown and the border. It's his first 2020 campaign event, basically. O'Rourke will join rally goers in El Paso to show the country the reality of the border. There is, in fact, large segments of border wall in El Paso. It is where Border Patrol is located. That's one of the reasons El Paso has become a much safer city. They've put out a statement that says, Beto O'Rourke will join with his city on Monday evening to show the country the reality of the border, a vibrant, safe, binational community that proudly celebrates its culture, history, diversity, and status as a city of immigrants. So O'Rourke presumably will take out his bass guitar, and then he'll start singing Smells Like Teen Spirit. He, that's how he leads. I mean, I just imagine that's how he leads off every single rally with, with, a, with a rendition of Smells Like Teen Spirit, where he just dons his old sheep costume from his earlier days. And then he just sings to himself. I, I think that that's 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 where it goes. So, you know, good, good for Beta O'Rourke. It's a rather uninspiring group of Democrats. Honestly, all President Trump has to do is shut his face. Just be quiet. Let them talk. Let them be stupid. All will be well. I mean, and, and proof of that is over in Virginia, where things have gone very poorly for the current governor of Virginia. He's trying to survive politically. He will survive politically. There is a poll out that shows that 60 percent, some 60 percent of blacks in Virginia want him to remain as governor, which shows that even they are not supremely offended 
at the whole, in 1985, I dressed up in blackface or as Michael Jackson alternatively routine. That doesn't mean Ralph Northam is good at his job. He is very, very bad at his job. Yesterday, he did his long-awaited interview in which he was trying to rehabilitate himself. And he was asked, why, you should, why should you stay governor? His answer, pretty fantastic. Why do you think you still deserve this job when so many people are calling for you to step down? Well, again, we, we have worked very hard. Uh, we've had a good first year, and, and I'm a leader. Uh, I've been in some very difficult situations, life and death situations, taking care of sick children. And right now, you're a doctor, yes. right now, Virginia needs someone that can heal. Uh, there's no better person to do that than a doctor. So I'm going to stick around because I'm a doctor and I'm going to help people heal. That's a pretty great answer. And by great, I mean, that's an awful answer. That is one of the worst political answers, in fact, that I have ever heard. So I'm gonna, like my wife's a doctor. She's not governor of Virginia. Nor is that a qualifier to be governor of Virginia, as it turns out. And the the idea that you are a doctor and that therefore you are a good person is also weird. There have been some pretty bad doctors. I I, I can't wait for Gail King's interview with Dr. Moreau. It's like, why should you be running this island? It's like, well, as a doctor, sure, you know, I make human-animal hybrids. But as a doctor, who best to bring people and animals together than me, Dr. Moreau? Well... (laughs) Well done, Ralph Northam. I hope he continues to be governor of Virginia until he no longer is. All right, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. Um, there's a great book that I've been reading by Stephen C. Meyer. Uh, Stephen Meyer is a, a professor of biology. Um, he is, I'm, I'm trying to remember his exact credential, PhD from the University of Cambridge in the philosophy of science, former geophysicist, college professor. He directs the, the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute in Seattle, this book is basically about the theory of intelligent design. Now, people mix up creationism and intelligent design. Creationism is the idea that the Bible is completely literal and that the earth was completed in six literal days, that the dinosaurs were basically non-existent, that the geological record uh, of the world is falsified by God. Or that, that, that is not what he is talking about here. I, in that sense, I am not a fundamentalist creationist. Right? I believe in the theory of evolution. I believe that the earth is billions of years old. I believe that humanity is hundreds of thousands of years old. I, I, I agree with all of that stuff. This is a deeply scientifically knowledgeable book, basically asking some serious questions about why it is that DNA seems to have been designed. And there are a bunch of puzzles that people like Richard Dawkins really have not provided sufficient answers to. There's a 500-page book of heavy science, Signature in the Cell, DNA Evidence for Intelligent Design, well worth the read. It was sent to me by a listener from British Columbia, actually. Uh, and it's taken me about a year to get around to it. I'd read another one of Stephen Meyer's books. They're, they're all very good and very well thought out because there are significant scientific realities that require some explanation as to how evolution could have in undirected fashion resulted in them. So for example, DNA has to be created by proteins, but you need DNA in order to create proteins. So which came first, DNA or proteins? And there are certain basic questions. That, why is it the DNA, which is an information coding system, has to, it has to have a decoder? How could the decoder have evolved separately from the DNA? And there are all sorts of questions, scientifically speaking, about whether intelligent design is present in the process. And Stephen Meyer tries to make the scientific case that the best possible theory here is that there is, in fact, an intelligent design to the process of biology and evolution. And that that is a scientific theory, a, 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 scient- a scientific hypothesis, at the very least, that should be kept on the same par as pure random chance, which is what folks like Dawkins or Sam Harris posit. For, for the realities of, of evolution and DNA biology. So it's well worth the read. It's really interesting stuff. Okay, other things that I like today. So I should update you on the Jeff Bezos story very quickly. So as you'll recall, last week, there was a lot of speculation by folks in the media that the reason that the, the source for American media, being the National Enquirer, the source for their ownership, uh, the, the, the source for the, the fact that they had control of text messages from Jeff Bezos of his junk, to his then lover, and they had text messages from her to him. There was a suggestion that that had come from the White House and that that had come from the federal government. Well, now it turns out that the person who actually leaked that stuff to the National Enquirer was the mistress's brother. So it was a family problem that didn't stop the media from running with the theory that Trump was behind all of it because Trump is behind everything. Trump is nefarious and evil and therefore behind everything. Turns out that that's not so true. So just worthy of note. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. The love affair with the Obamas just continues apace. So last night at the Grammys, Michelle Obama showed up because 
obviously Michelle Obama has some, like she's a singer, right? She's a very famous singer, Michelle. But she's great at dance. But she, she's a really great artist who's made great music. Vi- no. She's just a famous lady. She's just a famous politician that is left wing and is married to Barack Obama. And therefore, she was there hugging all of the artistic figures at the Grammys because she's a Hollywood candidate. There are a lot of people who are speculating she showed up at the Grammys because maybe she'll throw her hat in the ring for 2020. I think it's deeply unlikely. I think much more likely she throws her hat in the ring in 2024 or something. It would just be too much for the American people, I think, to have Obama, Trump, Obama again. But she showed up at the Grammys anyway because, don't worry, our po- it's only Trump who's made our politics into culture. It wasn't the Obamas at all. Obama who showed his face on every TV show this side of New Girl. It's, it's really amazing. But here was Michelle Obama at the Grammys last night. Bring some of my sisters out here tonight. So much social justice happening. Oh, people love Michelle Obama. Yay! I remember when they did this for Laura Bush From the at the Motown Tonys. Records. I on the oh, people freaking out. Michelle Obama's here. Oh my God! Wow, she, she has nothing better to do. I mean, <laughs> what's she going to do on a random Sunday night? Come on. What I love the most about Michelle Obama being alongside all these artists is obviously she's an artistic figure, a deep, important artistic figure. Again, this is the same thing as Barack Obama deciding he needed to show up at the baseball all-star game to throw out the first pitch, and then he needed to show up giving his draft picks. And then he, need, I mean, at least Obama, I guess, was like a sportsy president. I why Michelle Obama was at the Grammys, I don't know, except that people at the Grammys love her, so I guess that their political preferences have to be on full display. But again, don't worry. This is all just normal, non-political, cultural stuff. Hollywood is not biased in any way. They're just catering to the market. That is what we have been told. All righty. So we'll be back here a little bit later today. We have two more hours of programming, which is why you should subscribe so you can go listen to that. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everybody, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. How gullible is the left? People tell them the world is about to end, so give me all the power, and they buy into it. We'll take a look at the Green New Deal and how stupid you have to be to buy that particular Brooklyn Bridge. I'm Andrew Claven. That's on The Andrew Claven Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 